This is Where I'm At, a podcast on health, wellness, and yoga. I'm Lauren D'Angelo. I'm a yoga teacher, writer, and a marketer, and I will be doing the interviewing of my teachers on this podcast. The important people in my life who have taught me and helped me and shaped my life into what it is today. If you listen to this podcast, you can expect to hear talks on health, wellness, yoga, and lifestyle. This is a fun, lighthearted podcast where my hope is you learn something new that you can take away and implement in your life. Plus, you get the added bonus of getting to know local yoga teachers and those in the health and wellness field in the Boston area and beyond. So today I am interviewing one of my friends, Corinne Crosley. She is an LMHC. Um, Corinne, what's that stand for? Licensed Mental Health Counselor. Yes. Thank you for joining us today. And Corinne, you focus on um, intuitive eating, mindful eating, and body acceptance. And one of the main reasons why um, you and I have kind of connected and talked a bunch about me wanting to have you on where I'm at prior to COVID-19, but I feel like, um, you know, with COVID-19 having happened, it just kind of forced me into really paying attention to have you on. So thank you for joining us today. I'm so honored to be here. I love where I'm at. Oh, thank you. So I wanted to specifically talk to you about, um, you know, eating during this time and nutrition. And we were just joking that, um, you know, a lot of people have, when, when this first kind of started happening, when COVID-19 first happened, it was kind of like, oh, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to like put on the COVID-19, <laughs> like, wait, you know, almost like a freshman 15 or whatever it might be. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about nutrition. I wanted to talk to you about mindful eating um, and a little bit about what stress can do to the body, even trauma can do to the body and how it can affect what it is that we, we eat. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. I would love to talk about all of those things. <laughs> all right, cool. So first define for us what, what is intuitive eating? Like, what does it mean? Sure. So intuitive eating existed for a long time. Um, but, uh, about 25 years ago or so two dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, um, wrote a book <laughs> and it kind of started a revolution. And the idea with intuitive eating is to eat in a way that it's based on our internal signals versus external stimuli or external plans. And so Rash and Tripoli were writing their book in response to putting people on even the most moderate of diets and eating plans and finding that even with great support, even with great connection, even with all of that moderation, people were quote unquote failing. Mm. Um, and they loved their clients and they didn't think it was because people weren't trying hard enough. And so they kind of had to stand back and look at diets and that really coming to the conclusion pretty quickly that diets don't work. And so what are our other options? And so how we eat based on our hunger, our satiety, our inner signals. Um, and, and they also use something that I really like to sort of steal their terminology is using gentle nutrition, mm. not overly restrictive, not blank check 
have all of the forbidden foods, really the idea of legalizing all foods, all foods fit. And when all foods fit, we can really tune in and listen to our bodies mm -hmm. and base what we eat on our bodies versus um, a Pinterest plan <laughs> that we yeah. yeah. So if, if I'm intuitively eating, like you said, all foods fit, but what about ensuring that like you're getting the right nutrition um, at the time that you need it? Sure. Well, we're so used to looking to external things for that, like plans, yeah. et cetera, that we really leave out and become disconnected from our body's wisdom. Our bodies are so smart mm -hmm. and we mess with that so often. And so the idea is the more we can tune in, the more we're going to find that our bodies give us those signals. Thirst, hunger, energy levels, all of those things that when we're in tune can really help us decide, um, do I need peanuts with this apple? Mm -hmm. Do I need bread with this chicken? Do you know, what do I need to balance this? And it does take practice. I really like um, the idea that, um, that I feel like yoga really does a beautiful job with that. It's a practice, right? You're never going to get it perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. Um, but really being present with ourselves and respectful and in doing so we can do this practice by really listening. Okay. That makes total sense. Right. So it, and that's where the mindfulness comes in, right? So it's like before you really decide to put something in your body, really mindfully considering it and giving it a moment to say, you know, is this really what I want? Um, will this feed me in the way that I need to be fed right now? Yeah. And what will it actually do physically to my body? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And also, you know, I would add to that leaving space for, um, about our eating, right? That, mm -hmm. um, there, there is space for things like emotional eating. Yeah. And that's actually really, you know, when people first hear that about that there's space for that and in intuitive eating, people are like, Oh, what? Because <laughs> because emotional eating gets a very bad rep mm -hmm. and yet, um, that, is also an internal signal and just being curious about that, like just tuning into, oh, wow, I'm really stressed. And, wow, I'm really stressed. And that actually makes me feel hungry. Yeah. I had a, an example of that actually. And I, I tend to find like, you know, total honesty, like when it comes to that time of month for me, I, I tend to crave sugar and I just, you know, um, the rest of the time I am extremely, I'm really mindful about whole food eating. And I've noticed in doing that, um, when I put things in my body that don't really agree with me, um, I don't feel well after, right? Mm -hmm. so, like I have just naturally, and the more that I notice it, the more I'm kind of like, I actually don't want that, okay. but there is something about candy 
that when I like, when I do feel stressed out, that is what I want. And, you know, I have to agree with you that I'm not, I allow myself, I think there was a point in time where I'd be like, no, no, no. And now I'm kind of like, Hey, you know what? If I want a piece of that candy today, I'm going to have it. I'm not doing it every day. It's not like I'm putting the sugar in my body all the time, but if I want that, like I'm going to allow myself to have it. Um, but I, you know, I do agree with you that when your body is under stress or when you feel stressed, it does often reflect what it is that you could potentially eat. So can you talk a little bit about like what, what does stress actually do to the mind when it comes to eating? Like, what is that correlation and how can we become more mindful about it? Sure. So, I mean, I really like to think about the stress response right now, especially because um, we are all in it. (laughs) We are all in it. And so, um, you know, most of us are familiar with the idea of the fight or flight response, right? As a stress response. And um, a number of years ago, we've amended fight flight to be fight flight freeze, that there are actually predominantly three ways that, um, we respond when we are in stress or trauma, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And those are, um, we can see this in animals, right? They'll fight, they will run away, or they will freeze. So if you think about the possum, or, you know, if any of you have animals who have you know, like a dogs or cats who have gotten a hold of an animal and they, you know, you got them to drop it and the animal is like frozen there, right? Like you're like, oh my God. And it's, you know, sorry to bring up such an unpleasant. Well, no, it's like, I'm, I'm laughing because it's kind of like, so basically what you're saying is when I sternly say my puppy's name, when I sternly say Truman, he's scared because he knows he's in trouble and he totally freezes. Like that is an example of what you're saying, right? I like this freeze, you know, the freeze concept is so true. And I, I have, I actually have never heard that before. So thank you for sharing that. And um, now that I hear you talk about it, I actually, yeah, I see it in my puppy, but even besides that, I know, I I know behaviors of people that are close to me that also kind of, I can tell that they feel frozen. It's kind of like, I don't know anything, anything, right? Right, right, exactly. That, and I especially have been bringing up the the freeze response a lot, just thinking about it, um, especially with clients. (laughs) Um, And um, I, I want to think about that, especially because I feel like what's happening with quarantine is especially playing into that frozen experience for a lot of us that even if that isn't our nat- natural activation process, I do feel like it is sort of happening a bit anyway for us that, you know, you can kind of feel it. I, I definitely feel it in my body more that, um, you know, just feeling like more curled up you know, and sort of like that, like protective, you know, animals will curl up, protect their bellies, you know, all of those sort of pieces. And so even just to know like that, that's sort of humming at a level for most of us right now, if not those of us who are dealing with what we call in the, in the field, capital T trauma, right? Like first responders, people who are going, you know, people who are losing people right now, it is so activating. And so when we're talking about the fight, flight, freeze response, we're talking about the sympathetic nervous system. So 
And the sympathetic nervous system is really, I like to think about it as all the stuff in the back of your brain mm -hmm. that our brains evolved from the back forward. And mm -hmm. so like, if you ever hear people talk about the lizard brain or the reptile brain, yes. it's all of those things that, it, that are going on automatically. You don't have to tell your body to do it. It's, you know, monitoring your breath rate, your blood pressure, like all these different things that you're not telling your body to do. And so when that gets activated, your body and your brain are working together and basically dealing with either a high level or low level emergency, right? So your heart rate increases, your breath rate increases, your blood pressure is up. And what's, you know, what's the thing that we hear the most about is this is dumping cortisol into your system. Yep. You're getting more adrenaline in your system, releasing more blood sugar. And these are the things, if you think about the fight, flight, freeze response, especially fight or flight, your body is getting ready to basically have a workout, right? Like if you were an animal, you would be getting ready to run as fast as you could mm -hmm. or fight as hard as you could to live. And so what do you need? You need all of the available nutrition in your body to do that. Yeah. And so things like cortisol in these processes, they literally make you hungry, right? That's not, this isn't just like, oh, I'm just bored. I mean, sometimes that is the case, of course. But when we're in the stress response, it's making us hungry. That's understandable. It's brilliant. Yeah. Thank goodness, right? Like we're here because that happened over the course of generations and evolution, right? Uh-huh. And so when we think about that system, really honoring that that's happening and that of course, you know, when we come to yoga and we come and do mindfulness and relaxation exercises, we do like to engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which is considered the rest and digest system, right? Yep. And so that's why um, when these parts of our brains are activated in the fight, flight, freeze, it's really hard to just like tell yourself you're not hungry. Right? Yeah. Because your body, you're saying like you're, when you're under stress, your body is using all of the nutrients within it to actually help you respond to that stress. And therefore your body is getting hungry. Right. right. Absolutely. And so, you know, to really be kind and loving and compassionate to ourselves and curious. And so again, a lot of the time when we have those, like we find ourselves at the cabinet, we're not very forgiven, forgiving about ourselves with that, right? We're, we're actually double downing, doubling down, excuse me, on the stress response by being like, you know, you're not hungry. Why are you eating again? Like we're so cruel to ourselves about it. Yeah. Um, and so to really, I really like to think of that as like, hmm, is that the most helpful way to talk to ourselves about that? Yeah. Okay. So that makes, so, so it sounds like your suggestion is don't ignore it and not eat, but maybe choose something that isn't your first impulse of what it is that you want. Well, not necessarily. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I would say that with sort of that compassionate response, um, and we can talk about sort of what's helpful in terms of behavior, but, you know, maybe you go and you have that thing. Um, you know, for example, um, 
you know, my, my husband was dealing with a really stressful situation the other day, you know, as so many of us are in terms of work and, um, you know, helping as many people stay employed as possible and, and yeah. those sort of things. And he walked out of the corner of the playroom, which is ho- his home office right now. And he said, I want a pizza so bad right now. <laughs> That's awesome. It's <laughs> so great. I have those moments too, actually. I can appreciate that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Like what, what's helpful right now? Like, this is what I've got ready for dinner. Like we can scrap it. Like, do you want a pizza? Like, do you, is that, is that what's going to help right now? And so, you know, with that being said, you know, the way that we tend to feed that need is then we feel guilty. And so we do it mindlessly and um, cruelly to ourselves. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. I didn't need this pizza. Why am I doing this? And then we say like very fat phobic things about ourselves too, like, you know, how we're going to gain weight and that's going to be terrible. And, um, but rather than that, like what would happen if we ordered a pizza for you and we put it on plates and we had a nice conversation and we made sure it was like just the right temperature you wanted it to be. And you really dialed in and tuned into how does it really taste? And, oh, is it greasier than you wanted it to be? Or is it not as greasy as you wanted it to be? Yeah. But we don't really do that. We punish ourselves for it a lot of the time instead. Oh, that makes so much sense when I'm learning so much. (laughs) It's true, right? So like, okay, so then to take this even a step further, if you ordered the pizza for your husband and you guys sat down and he really enjoyed it and savored it it, long term or longer term is Mm -hmm. the theory that he wouldn't want to do that every single day. Like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is how do you balance of feeding your body and not ignoring what it is that you're essentially craving, but Mm -hmm. also acknowledging, right? Like that fine line of acknowledging when you're um, taking advantage of defining it or like labeling it as intuitive eating, right? So if your husband said that to you every single day, like, I want a pizza, I want a pizza, I want a pizza, long-term, what would be your response to that? Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. So this comes up a lot, especially when um, I start with new clients because they've been so trained and so attuned to what, what my field calls diet culture, right? Is this idea that like my body can't be trusted. If I, if I really give it the reins, it is going to ask for pizza and ice cream every single day for the rest of my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is exactly the main question that I have. I love it. Okay. (laughs) And I'll say like, okay, I, I understand that. I hear that. Um, you know, it's, it's not dissimilar to my clients who have sort of like been kind of in an emotional lockdown for a long time. And I'll say like, well, what happens if you were to let some of the tears out? And they'll say like, I'll start crying and I'll never stop. Right. Yes. This idea that we have this unending whole depth well inside of us that can never be filled. 
And I promise you, it can be filled. I have seen this over and over. And it's terrifying for so many. This is like a really, it is the scariest leap for most people. And I really um, am so inspired to watch people do it. But the idea is, is when we've legalized everything and when you're really in tune and really do listen, your body will even out. Mm. after the legalization there will be probably an initial period of legalization where it's like sort of the 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 freshman who's <laughs> been in lockdown right like and i apologize for like keep using that term because um that's that's not a term we take lightly now anymore but like the kid who's been had very strict limits and goes like a little bananas freshman year right yeah and so yeah i've seen this over and over with clients that they come in after like the first month or so of like introducing intuitive eating and they're like, when is it going to stop? When am I going to stop eating everything? <laughs> so sometimes we have to do it slowly. Like we might, we might wait on what we call a trigger food. Right. And, and then we can sort of like be curious, but for example, you know, if he started asking for pizza every night of the week, I might be like, Hmm, what's up? that's okay. You know, like, okay, we'll do pizza every night of the week. And so a lot of the time to me that says like, oh, is that person in a struggle where they do think they won't be allowed pizza at some point? We call it the last mentality, right? Um, Are they preparing for a diet? Are they just feeling like insecure in some way, like insecurely attached? And this is how they're forming an attachment. And so can we be curious and we can be curious with the person or with ourselves, right? Like, huh, third night of pizza in a row, like first night was amazing. It was the best pizza ever. Mm-hmm. And yet I've ordered from the same place every night, gotten the same pizza. And like tonight it's like not doing it for me. Yeah. And so yeah. And then it doesn't become like me legalizing and not legalizing their bodies telling them. And when your body tells you it's not as hard, it becomes not effortless, but like just intuitive. It becomes so much easier. And that can be like, that's like a magical moment when my clients come in and they're like, you know, I went to this birthday party and, you know, like I'm always crazed around the birthday cake and all I'm thinking about the whole time at the birthday party is like, do I have the cake? Do I not have the cake? Who's watching me have the cake? Should I have the ice cream with it? Da, 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 da. And then, you know, they'll say like, oh, I had, they gave me a bite of cake and I realized like it was that Crisco frosting that I really don't like, or it was the buttercream and I missed the Crisco frosting and I tasted the cake and it wasn't that great. And I, had two bites and then I left it. And that's like magic. Wow. No, this makes a ton of sense. So, okay. So I'm, like I said, I'm learning a ton. So basically with regards to intuitive eating, it's this thought or idea of allow yourself to really consider and be mindful of what it is that you need and want. Allow yourself to have it, be very mindful while you are having it. And then also trust yourself enough to know that long-term there is kind of like this, um, there is going to be a filling up of that, that cup, if you will. Right. So like, 
you will eventually, if it is junk food that you're craving or food that isn't the healthiest or nutritionist, like most nutrition is for you, there will eventually be a limit where you're kind of like, okay, you know what? Like I've had my fill of eating this. Now I'm going to become more mindful around what it is that I need next. So there is that, there is going to be that filling of the cup that eventually happens. Right. Yeah. And you're, and, and so, you know, people can't see us, but I see you doing this. This is the ups and downs. It almost looks like a, uh, like an EKG, right? Yeah. Like, the peaks and valleys. And there's some really cool stuff on the internet. Um, and they'll come out every so often that generally our eating does those, like, if you want to say like, whether it's nutritional peaks and valleys or <clears throat> sort of calorie dense peaks and valleys. Right. But we think of ourselves trying to get it like a perfectly straight line yeah. <laughs> rather than this acceptance that like, Oh, I'm going to have calorie dense things today. And then probably my body's going to even out and, and not need as much the next day, or I'm going to do that for two days. And then that's going to happen. And, and again, yeah, that the body does that. It just self monitors actually quite nicely, oh, but it's, it's us messing with it. That's the problem. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Amazing. This is amazing. Okay. So then a couple more questions now that like, we've kind of defined this cause I, that's like a wonderful foundation. So when you are stressed out, which essentially we are all experiencing stress right now, our bodies self-monitoring might kick in a little bit more, right? Because our body is essentially, some of us, most of us are on high alert right now, right? Like, so that fight, flight, or freeze is within us to some degree, probably everybody. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when that's happening, you're saying our body is potentially more hungry because we're trying to feed it in order, you know, I I have read many books that when you are in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, your brain is actually more active than when it's in rest and digest, right? So you're essentially, you're burning more calories potentially. Um, So we should allow and be mindful and listen to what it is that we... um, our bodies are craving right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you then stay positive about body image during this time when it feels, you know, and I, I hesitate to use the word diet because it's more intuitive eating that we're, we're speaking about, but if you are generally speaking somebody, like I am generally speaking somebody who I do try to, I try really hard to eat nutritious whole foods that I really love. I mean, I don't force my, it's like, oh, I I love spinach. I'm really lucky. Like I love egg whites. I really, this is like, I love sweet potatoes. Um, That is what my body for the most part craves. However, Mm -hmm. um, chocolate has become a food group during this time for me. (laughs) So that's kind of how do, how do you stay positive about your body image with this amount of stress that's happening when you know your body is craving things your routine is basically not right like you don't have one um everything seems really abnormal so why wouldn't our diets be exactly the same right like how do you stay positive it's a great question is that there's a lot of questions in that question i think um so something that I just really like to think about is 
always curiosity and compassion. Curiosity and compassion. And I'll come back to that in a second. Um, that generally when we think of body image, I think most of us think about um, our body image fluctuating based on how we eat, how much we move, and sometimes we allow for the idea that our hormones might affect that, right? Like, um, I've had many a session with like, I'm having PMS and everything is terrible about my body, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's a number of um, people who I love whose work is around this, but um, I really like to think about um, a couple of people, one, especially Marcy Evans, who um, she's a dietitian out of Cambridge, who's completely amazing. And she actually talks about, um, I, I did a podcast with her um, that's actually going to come out in a couple of weeks about not so much just our body image being something static is something that we actually are in relation to, right? That it's, it's almost like a separate entity from us that, um, or, or if that's not, if that's like too much for people to consider, like even just thinking of like body image is another thing that's part of your mood and that things like anxiety mm -hmm. or feeling out of control are going to affect our body image. Um, and, and we don't really track that as much, right? We think about like, wow, going to the grocery store made me super anxious and that was really scary. And then like in a separate way, we're noticing like, God, I can't stand how X, Y, Z about my body looks, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't put them together. And yet probably that anxiety does connect because we have this idea that we're supposed to be controlling our bodies, that we're supposed to be taking the reins and forcing it to look certain ways, do certain things, be a certain size, shape, object, rather than, oh, isn't that interesting? I got less sleep tonight or less sleep last night and I woke up super negative about my body. Mm really interesting or for me um through the course of you know i wrote a book last year and i kind of had to force myself to, to stay up past a time that i know is really helpful for me i'm a morning morning bird and i started to notice after 10 p.m i had this off switch where i could keep going but my thinking got really negative and yeah. even being a body image expert, being an intuitive eating expert, and I would start this litany of like negative thoughts about I my get anxiety. I get it. I love that you're saying this. So my bedtime is 10 o'clock. And it, I find that if I am not in bed by that time, my anxiety spikes high. I start thinking about I'm not going to have the energy to get through my day. I need to get my sleep. Why, why am I still up? Like I get so anxious. Yeah. I, I have to finish what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. That's so interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so helpful when there are people around us who can sort of remind us of that and support us in that, that now like sort of the catchphrase around my house, like you, have you always heard like nothing good happens after midnight or nothing good happens <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Go to bed. Go to bed. Stop telling me about the things you didn't do today. Stop t- stop wondering about um, all the ways that you screwed our kids up or, you know, like all the things you didn't do or the way in which like you should have done one more round or one more rep, like go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> that is so great. Oh my God. So how this, so basically with regards to like the body image component, it sounds like you're just saying like worry, worry less and trust more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And be curious, right? Like when we notice those negative thoughts about our bodies, can we be curious versus accept it as truth, right? Mm-hmm. We're so used to like, oh, I hate my butt. So now I have to Google all the things to shape my butt in this way, right? Did somebody pay you to say that to me? <laughs> Versus, um, it, you know, no one can relate to that. Um, <laughs> so versus, oh, isn't that interesting? I haven't been hating my butt a lot lately. Let's sort of stand back and see what's up, mm-hmm. what's going on. Is this more of a sign that I need more care and love and self compassion and self care versus, you know, XYZ butt lifters or whatever? And, and sort of with that being said, <clears throat> I really like to think about um, a mindfulness activity that I do that I, I direct clients in and I love, which is really thinking of form, excuse me, function over form, right? And so, you know, like the other day, my kids um, were saying something about, uh, I have a four or seven year old, so everything is obsession with like butts and et cetera. Anyway, but I was sort of saying like, um, do you know that the function that the shape of your butt has? And they were kind of like looking at me, of course, and like, or, you know, what job it does. And I would say, if you didn't have those big muscles, if you cut those big muscles in your butt, you couldn't stand or walk or sit comfortably. And so that idea, like if we're struggling with how we're looking and we're, we're not even able to get into that curious place. Can we sort of be mindful with what's the function of that part? Can I, you know, like to think about almost like a gratitude exercise of like, how do I use that part? How, how does it help me throughout my life? Um, and how, you know, again, and sort of tread carefully use this compassionately really thinking about, for those who might not have access to those same things, right? Right now, how might they wish for the access and gratitude or um, abilities that my body has? Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. Gratitude practice, I'm telling you. It comes everything back always comes back to that, doesn't it? Okay, um, so... <clears throat> If someone was on a quote unquote diet, right? Like really monitoring their caloric intake specifically, mm-hmm. um, felt like time and time again, it, they're, they're quote unquote failing, whatever mm-hmm. that might look like. Mm-hmm. 
what would be your suggestion to them with regards to don't like maybe don't do this instead do that right like maybe it's not monitoring your caloric intake versus trying blank like what are the tips that you would give them sure so like i i just you know i always say like it's it's not my job to tell you what to do that being said <laughs> um <clears throat> Again, to I would just introduce the idea of <clears throat> being curious about that urge to diet, that struggle not to diet. Like, what is that? That, um, you know, often we talk about that diets are about control, right? That's not groundbreaking. And that <clears throat> as we talk about the fight, flight, freeze response and, and how that invites us to eat, let's also think about, you know, the spectrum of behavior. And so for, if we're talking about sort of my corner of the universe in terms of eating disorders, right, mm -hmm. that there are folks that eating food helps them calm down. And there are folks that restricting food helps them calm down. And we are familiar with sort of that spectrum across the board with eating disorders. Well, we all have that spectrum within us, right? And so for a lot of us who are anxious, the urge to diet is usually about, I feel really anxious. I feel really out of control. I wish I had more control. And so can we first just tune in to, oh, I really want to restrict because that's going to make me feel better. That's going to make me feel in control. That being said, what we do know is that 98% of diets fail, 98%. Wow. And so you're going to feel in control up to a point until you don't. And then you're going to feel terrible mm -hmm. <laughs> because then what we don't do, we don't blame it on the diets. We blame it on ourselves, not having control. And we're going to fall off the wagon like all of us do, right? And then we're going to be really cruel to ourselves. And so can we start introducing that action of curiosity and just listening for, you know, even if you need to hold on to the diet for a while, mm. let's just continue to be curious and compassionate because that's coming, right? That you're probably going to fall off that diet. And, you know, I don't mean to be hopeless for people, but I, I kind of want to introduce this idea of compassion. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, and when that happens, you know, can we even start to try on the terminology? Oh, this diet failed versus I failed. I failed. Right. I failed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have always been kind of a, a big believer in if you restrict your body from any component of nutrition, too much it eventually does reflect in how it is that you feel right like here's an example and this is me personally right so like this is me and my physical makeup and my body for a long time my body really didn't respond well to like whole milk it would upset my belly could be lactose intolerance not really sure i just knew that whenever i ate it my belly would get upset i um switch to a different type of milk, if you will, almond milk, coconut milk. Um, Long-term, I have a vitamin D deficiency, right? Like I learned about it last year. 
-hmm. could be that I'm not drinking, you know, cow's milk for lack of better terms, right? Instead of it's a, it's a nut based milk, um, you know, also restricted things like yogurt, right? Like wasn't taking that in as much, didn't eat a lot of cheese. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I personally am a big believer that if you restrict your body from those things, eventually it could show up in other ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that that's exactly what you were saying at the start, where it was like all foods are fit, right, right. They all fit. They're all open, full rain, mm-hmm. um, and so really allowing yourself compassion, understanding that feeding your body is probably more important right now than restricting your body. Um, and restricting what it is that you're putting into it, specifically speaking with COVID-19 happening and knowing that our body's probably more stressed than any of us have had um, in some time, if ever. Mm-hmm. So, okay, also, and then so, like the last kind of thing that I want is just to kind of like flip it on, on the other side, which is something that I think all of us have been trying to do on a regular basis is on the flip side, if I want to try to find the silver linings and the constructiveness that could potentially come with the limited amount of time that you necess- you kind of have right now to focus on self-care, right? Like, and I understand that there's still restrictions, right? If you're a parent and you're at home and you're taking care of your children, you're probably more strapped for time than you ever have been, but you're still in the confines of your home, right? Like, so you're not necessarily having to like run around from place to place, if I find that I have more time to focus on my self-care right now, what are the things that I can do to start to, um, you know, is it, a, is it a, a mindfulness journal? Should I begin to write down how I feel about what it is that I'm, I'm feeding my body? Like, what are the things that I can do to start c- to consider this uh, concept or this idea of um, intuitive eating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. There's, there's, um, I got a million of them. <laughs> There's um, a lot of sort of fun things that you can do. And maybe people won't consider them fun. I think consider them fun. Sorry. Um, you know, engaging in, you could engage like in a, in a capital M, capital E mindful eating exercise, right? Um, where you're just, you're just noticing um, what you're eating, which is, believe it or not, is actually pretty unusual now that actually like tuning in um, to what we're eating in terms of taste and texture and et cetera. So we can do that um, no matter what you're eating, if it's a snack, if it's one bite, whatever it is, that's okay. Um, One particular mindful eating exercise that I love is actually um, a, I call it a food origins exercise. And so, you know, often we can get distracted in a meal and this one we can even do if we have kids around, but really tuning in as you eat with, um, with what you're eating by thinking about like all the different components. So, and you can do this for anything. You can do this for chocolate. You can do this for quinoa salad. You can do this for anything, but really thinking about, um, the different ingredients that are involved, where each of those ingredients came from, the people who were involved. And it's, it's really cool. I, I actually do that um, exercise with my daughter um, on my podcast. And so 
a lot of mindful eating, I think is difficult. You know, I, I hear that a lot from parents, like, how am I going to eat mindfully? I have these gremlins in my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Um, that one you can do with kids because it's kind of like almost like a fun quiz. And so that, that those are sort of like nice in the moment. But in terms of like just introducing the concepts, um, especially if you're trying to step down from more of a diet culture mentality, um, you mentioned like a, a mindful eating journal. And I do actually have people do that sometimes. They're so used to food journaling, right? Ah. And so what I have people tune into is um, as, you, as you go to eat, you know, like for a day or two, not too long. Um, just consider, you know, your level of hunger and whatever, however you want to rate that. If it's zero to five, zero to 10, however you want to do that, there's tons of helpful hunger scales online. Um, I can give resources as well. Um, just notice your level of hunger, notice what you want. You don't have to, I actually encourage people not to write down what they're eating. I, I noted, I encourage people to tune into everything else, um, where you ate, when you ate, who you ate with, were there any sort of ascending events going on? Like, um, I was really stressed or, oh, I was really tired or I came in feeling very peaceful, whatever it is. And then, um, after, you know, when it ended, what was your level of hunger as you ended, how you felt? It sounds like a lot of work. Um, once you kind of get into the practice of it, it's, it's not too bad. And again, like you said, we have this kind of window of time and there's no right or wrong way to do it. If you do it for one meal, that's great. You tune in. That's great. That's fine. I love that. That's so amazing. Okay, cool. So, and I really like the idea of when you're sitting down, getting ready to eat your food, um, thinking about all of the steps it had to take in order for it to arrive on your plate. Um, you know, and I, that's something that <clears throat> if you actually take a look at um, some religions and prayers that happen at the table prior to the act to eating, it's specifically prayers around the food and all of the individuals and the resources that it took to get that food to your table. So it's so interesting, you know, and it, again, practice of mindfulness, that is so very clearly a practice of, um, you know, mindfulness from the, from outside of your being to how we are all connected. Um, so that's like, that's a lovely, lovely practice. Um, and one thing I will also, you know, I do think that when you're taking a look at silver linings and COVID-19 and some of the things that we may potentially now have the time to do that we didn't prior is um, all sitting down and eating together again at the table, right? So if you are a family and you are um, all home all day long, right, together, it probably is a challenge in and of itself by the end of the day to sit down and have dinner together. <laughs> but, but, you know, this concept of like on the go, quote unquote, right? Like on the go eating, mm -hmm right now is not really a thing, right? Which is like totally amazing that this world has just like hit this big pause button, but some of the older traditions, right? Like I grew up in a, a big Italian family and our gatherings were always centered around food and, and 
what's more is that it was centered around sitting down and eating together and talking together. Right. Right. And I, I, I love, I love that we're hitting that pause button and that's happening. And also, um, you know, taking that forward too, that we can get so fixed in what family meal is. Mm -hmm. And yet if we can even just tune into this feeling of sitting with each other and, and making it portable for, for when the lights do turn on a bit more like, oh, you know what? Family meal can be a snack. Yeah. Or, you know, like I come home, I'm ravenous for dinner. The kids have been fed. They're not really hungry or, you know, and, and my husband's already had dinner, but, you know, they can sit and have tea and I can have dinner. That's okay. You yeah, know? you can still sit together. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yes. Totally. Or even, you know, um, my, my current uh, coworker and I, uh, a, a company that I'm doing contract work for, you know, her and I need to do catch-ups. And so we've been doing it a little bit in the evening, you know, after the day kind of settles and, you know, we've, I've, I've been sipping my tea actually. And, you know, she's been maybe drinking her wine or whatever it might be, but it's still, it's virtual obviously, but we're still connecting. Right. And we're still having those conversations. And I have to tell you, you know, I really haven't made the time for that in the past. And it's some of those things are really coming to light for me, um, you know, and I, I think that we can still center it around nutrition and feeding our bodies and and um, what it is that that we're eating. So, super helpful. Yeah. Okay, so I ask all my guests this: <laughs> anything else that you also want to share, Corinne, that you just haven't had a chance on this conversation? Like other tips, other things that we should consider? Um, yeah, I think. I think just sort of thinking about, um, you know, if there are, if there are folks out there who sort of are realizing that their relationship with food is, is something they want to change, that there are a lot of resources out there and to really think about, you know, you know, sometimes this is the first exposure people have to like, oh, what do you mean I wouldn't diet my whole life? <laughs> you know, like sometimes this is news. And so if it's not reaching out to me, there are some amazing resources around like the multi-service eating disorder association is out there, which is actually in Massachusetts. We're so lucky mm -hmm. that way. I know not all your listeners are local, but um, reaching out to get help and support and therapists are, are also virtual. So, you know, don't wait, don't yeah. wait if that's if that's coming up for you and you do have a website right and you do have your own practice tell us a little bit about about that too um so i have a psychotherapy practice out of canton well which is like anywhere right now yeah <laughs> um, virtually <laughs> um you can find my website corinne crosley c-o-r-i-n-n-e crosley is c-r-o-s-s-l-e-y um and also, I have um, a podcast that's actually geared towards um, self-care for moms because um, often we don't feel like we make space for that sometimes in, in sort of a subset of my work of working primarily with folks with eating disorders. I end up working with a lot of women, not exclusively, but a lot of women and a lot of moms. And once I became a mom, I kind of realized this is a different animal and I 
love doing that work. So mm-hmm. I know, I know you love your work, which is so cool. Um, I feel like I get away with like, <laughs> like, feels like you're cheating the system, doesn't it? When you love what you do. I know. I do. And then I do other things like I make podcasts and write books and it's like, I keep getting away with it. (laughs) I get it. I totally get it. Um, You have a book coming out. Yeah, I do. I do. It's still coming out August 4th. Um, It went to print last week. Oh my God. That's so exciting, Corinne. So excited. It's gorgeous. It's it's a gorgeous book um, to the publisher. It's from Skyhorse Press did a great job with it. Um, so it's gonna, it's called self-care for new moms thriving through your postpartum year. And it really covers everything from of course, intuitive eating to postpartum depression, anxiety, to pelvic floor recovery, to postpartum sex, to managing your friendships. Like it's, it's really meant to be soup to nuts and it's, um, really, based on interviews from, uh, that I did with, on my podcast from a village of experts. And so it's so cool. It's, it's not just my voice. It's the voice of these experts. It's the voice of my clients. It's, you know, it's really cool. I know. I'm really excited for that. Okay, cool. So then tell us, um, who are your teachers? So yeah, I had to think about this. This is such a great question. Um, when it comes to yoga, you, of course. I was thinking so much. I was thinking about you this morning when I was practicing and how much I love your mandala flow. Oh, thank you. How influential that is just like being in your class helps me understand how to construct the flow. Um, I have a million, you you know, I teach, I, I take classes almost as many places as you teach. (laughs) I do. Yeah, you do. Like I show up places and you're like, you come here too. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to say about you. Yeah. <laughs> you always show up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, steel is, is very close to my heart, but, yeah. and so many of the influential teachers there. So, you know, in terms of yoga, that's, that's a whole other ball of wax in terms of what we've been talking about and just sort of my life. Um, I feel like they're not creative answers, but, um, my kids, my kids teach me so much about myself. I was, I was listening to your, your podcast with your sister and and really agreeing so much with what she was saying about like, they will hold up a big mirror. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) Yeah. So they're doing that all the time. Um, my clients, Mm -hmm. my clients me so much not just about resilience they're they're amazing but also like I introduce these ideas or they come to me sort of wanting more support around these ideas a lot of the time they've kind of dipped their feet in the intuitive eating or manipulating or body acceptance movements and then they're like okay help me with this mm-hmm. and then they learn and then they go and then like have you read this article have you read this book and I'm like nope <laughs> teach me and so um, they are literally teaching me all the time, but also just like with their work, they're, they're the coolest. So, um, awesome. and my own body, my own body is a, a really good teacher. I think our bodies are so smart. And if I can, to quote my own therapist, uh, get out of my head and into my body, that's where the wisdom is. 
all the time, if I can just get my mind to be quiet and to trust what my body's saying, um, things fall in place, you know? No, I get you totally. And then what about, um, your favorite quote? My favorite quote, um, is more like, uh, something that's kind of repeating in my head right now, which is actually just something that I keep saying about COVID-19. It's I'm taking the gifts where they come. So, you know, like wondering how we were going to deal with homework next year when my daughter hasn't had a lot of homework, we've had to manage homeschool, you know, um, wishing for things to slow down and be able to get things done and be with, you know, in a quieter space with my kids. That that's, you know, that's been a gift. Um, wanting to value my health and the health of those around me. I'm, I'm taking the gifts where they are right now. That's a great mantra. I really like that one. It's true. You know, I do. I, I agree with you. I, um, as anxiety provoking as this situation has been for me, uh, there have been definitely things that all of a sudden for myself too, I have noticed, you know, I have noticed, um, you know, that I, I do have more time. I, I have been able to sit down and write more. My creative brain has had the freedom to think. And it's kind of like, wow, I, I didn't realize you don't know what you don't know. You know, it's almost kind of like you get caught in that hamster wheel. You can't, you feel like, how do I slow down? And then all of a sudden the world decides, here's exactly how you're going to slow down. <laughs> right, right. And all these assumptions that we make that we can't slow down or we can't opt out. Yes. I was, you know, talking with a client. We were talking about um, the ways in which animals are behaving right now and how the earth is responding. And, you know, that like, all of these sea turtles were laying all these eggs on these beaches because the beaches were open, right? And that this idea that like, we can't, you know, how are we going to reverse climate change when, you know, we're doing all these things? Well, it turns out that almost all the inhabitants of the earth mm-hmm. can stay home for a month. Yeah, know? yeah. And then what happens? Let's just be curious. Oh, what happens? You know, obviously we're not all staying home and and we want yeah. to offer people who are not, but just, oh, that's curious. Somebody posted like being able to see jellyfish going uh, in the Venice canals. Because- yes, I heard that because it's more clear now. Oh. Yeah, I read, I read about the Venice canals being a little bit more clear. <laughs> so quickly, so yeah. quickly, the, the yeah. earth has gone so quickly. Yeah, so just, yeah. where are the gifts? So I always like to tell a story about how I meet my teachers. Um, and I, I, I can't completely remember, but I think I met you when I did the Open Doors Easton Yoga and Run series a couple of years ago, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite yoga class. Oh, <laughs> uh, and we did, so we did like, what, 30 minutes of flow? We did 30 minutes of running and then 30 minutes of movement, right? Yoga movement. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think at the time I was actually training for the New York Marathon. And yeah, and you and I did, we would do our morning run super early. What do we get together? Like five o'clock? Five, five thirty, maybe. I think we might've been even five thirty. Yeah. 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 And then it was winter. It was cold. That's right. It was cold. It was winter. 
Um, and you and I would always kind of keep the pace together and we would probably do somewhere between like two and three miles. And then we would, you know, do yoga. And, um, that's how, that's how I remember meeting you. And then the story I was going to tell you already kind of said was that, you know, as I moved on to teach at other studios at steel, you kind of popped up when I do my early bird classes at universal power yoga, you popped up there. Um, and I just love that I've been able to kind of keep in touch with you. And then most recently, a couple months ago, we sat down and talked about your new book. And, uh, you know, I was inquiring about, you know, just how it happened and how you made it happen because I, you know, secretly am kind of starting to craft my book and what it looks like and all of that. And so, you know, you became one of my teachers by sharing that insight and information with me, you know, and I, I really adore and love people who, and you're definitely one of them where it's like, hey, listen, the information and knowledge I have is not a secret and I share it for everybody else so that they can use it to be their own best person. And I think that, um, you know, you just, you define that. You, you're kind of like, hey, any knowledge I have, it's yours. You know, ask and I'll tell you. <laughs> so I very much appreciate that about you. Thank you. I thank you. I so appreciate that. I feel like that's <clears throat> also based on so many people who have offered me the same things. And, you know, um, it, it's, it's not a secret and let's not make it a secret. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for your time, Corinne. I enjoy talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you forever and um, let's catch up soon at the beanery after this is all over and have some tea and coffee. Sounds amazing. Thank you so <laughs> much, Lauren. This has been such an honor. Awesome. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.